Just go to a bunch of short guys on Facebook. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, be safe about it. Ping yeah, them. <laughs>
So if you're looking to get your feet wet in game development, this is the way of doing it. Jams happen all the time. Cartridge Jam is the one that DSOP started. Yeah. They normally join like the Global Jam or do like a Spooky Jam later on in the year. But it's really cool to see them doing kind of touching that nostalgia yeah. thing of getting back into like cartridges. They don't actually have cartridges, but <laughs> the artwork that some people submit are just like absolutely beautiful yeah, sometimes. and all over the place. I did the one earlier this year and it was a blast. If, if, like I would strongly urge anyone to participate in that. Awesome. Okay, so if you're looking to join it, submit your art or go to the meeting on the 13th. Join up. In other words, wait to see what's coming out. A uh, bunch of short guys has not added in what event they're having this month, but they have been reaching out and asking if there's any local talent that would like to show at their convention, which is Industry Giants uh, in September. They're also looking for sponsors. So if you know anybody that wants to sponsor, it's like a thousand to five thousand dollars, depending on the sponsorship you want to go for. But you can reach out to them to learn more information. Just. Go to a bunch of short guys on Facebook. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, be safe about it. Ping <laughs> yeah, them. Uh, let them know that you're that you're interested in either a sponsorship or a, or a booth. And by the time this podcast comes out, the beer club would have already happened, which is on July thirty first. But if you've got a time machine, yeah. go back and hang out with us. <laughs> yes. Uh, these episodes come out on Wednesday. We're so far for the last three weeks, we've gotten them out on Wednesday. We're hoping to keep the streak. So if we see you guys there, awesome. If we didn't, oh, sad face. Uh, two conferences that are coming up is QuakeCon, August 9th at the Gaylord. This is the second year that they're doing it there. And it sounds like they have a huge amount of space this time. Uh, the BYOC, I think, is just an entire room, I want to say. Makes sense. Are y'all, are y'all going this year? I didn't go last year, but... Okay. Oh, no, no. So my company is made up of a whole bunch of gamers. I run a marketing firm. My company is made up of a whole bunch of gamers, and we decided that was going to be our company outing. Little stress blow. Yeah, so some of us are going to be there. Some of us aren't. The BYOC, you do have to pay for that. That is admission... I don't know if all the spaces are already taken up. It's normally really competitive when they open up. I'm going to say that it most likely is. But one of the coolest things is they do get you, the, even with the free admission pass, you do get to wander around the BYOC. Bring your own computer and see all of the cool just computer mods that are out there. I think Michael was talking about how there was one computer that was built to look like a life-size... Uh, what is that game? <laughs> Fallout. Fallout oh, character, a life-size Fallout character, Hit one point? made to like a... Or the, like just the regular human. Like the, the suit. Oh, okay, suit. Uh, yeah, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I've, in the past when I've gone, I saw one that had like a full fight scene from Star Wars. <laughs> so they get cr- pretty crazy. And it looks, when they dim the lights and it's just all these glowing, iridescent, like <laughs> different colored machines, it looks, it looks amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, really, it's really cool. Other than that, when if you're not going to the BYOC, they do have talks from some of their partners. It's and they uh, have games you can play, like demos you can do of games that are coming out. They well, last year they did Skyrim VR because it was just getting released, so they did a they had a section where you could play that. They also have uh, some puppies coming out this year too. So puppies. If, you, okay. if you're like totally like stay away from people, they're dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine they might show up some of the like like the Rage Two demo. Or, I mean, I don't know. Possibly, but, but like I, I feel like I feel like it's a good a good time to show more of that game. Mm-hmm. So if you're going, enjoy. Uh, and of course, on September in September, I don't have like the exact dates just yet, but Industry Giants. So put it on your calendar. The special that they had for getting a, like fifty percent of your tickets is over with. It's just now as the mission is. And that's what it, that's the events coming up. So let's go ahead and get into our recap. Recap. All right, so the, here's the recap. 
Thursday and Friday is the VGOC, Video Game Open Coffee Club. This is We have two clubs that meet Thursdays and Fridays. One that meets at Whole Foods, Runner Roads in Plano. And the Friday one meets here at Nirvana at 8 a.m. Both of them are 8 a.m. One has board games. The other one, we just like to talk and socialize. Depends on how you go. Okay, so Thursday group. I love this article. Uh, I love this article. It's Ford, It's called Ford Boxed uh, uh, Xbox Adaptive Controllers Packaging is a Good Microsoft Move. The entire article. So for those of you that don't know, Microsoft has created an adaptive controller for people that have disability. <laughs> well, yeah, and for anyone that just wants to customize their their uh, gaming experience to, to a fair, fairly extreme level. <laughs> yes. And so the controller itself is pretty interesting, the way that you can customize and all that. But this entire article was not about the controller. It was about the box. The, the casing that it comes in or that it's shipped out in is completely done <laughs> as if you only have one hand to pull with. So if you look get, get a chance to look at the pictures... It has, like, the tape itself on one hand has, like, a, a hole you can hook your finger in and then just tear across. My biggest question about about this, while everyone's super excited, I mean, the article is just rave reviews about it. My question is, did they think about, like, the shipping aspect of it? Because the three of us, <laughs> as it's been revealed at one coffee club, uh, the three of us have all at one point in time worked for UPS. <laughs> yep. This is true. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to get out there, but there's sometimes the boxes. I mean, those of you that receive boxes, they can get a little crushed. Mm-hmm. So a little crushed, <laughs> or just they snag on things. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it, 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 a tape, a fully taped down box without any accessibility tabs on it, get, can get pulled and cuts and ripped. You know, fairly yeah. easily. So my question is, did they think that far? <laughs> <laughs> That's my biggest thing. And quick disclaimer for those of you listening. <laughs> writing, please handle with care, is not a substitute for doing a good packing job with yes. your oh with God. your box. Like, don't just put something that's like one-eighth the size of the box <laughs> rolling around in there and expect it to show up intact because you wrote fragile on it. Ooh, man. That is... Fragile. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's... It, 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 I mean... I have to assume I, I have to assume that the packaging that they're showing off at the very least was designed more for like picking it up at Best Buy or Target or something. But I, I suppose the first the first box they showed was a, a stereotypical brown box mm-hmm. with that kind of tab on it. Yeah. And, and and obviously I'm not saying that like because cause obviously not every package, you know, millions of packages get shipped. So, you know, it's not it's not like it's absolutely going to get ripped off, but it just feels like, you know, it's like you're begging, <laughs> you know, like, you know, as it gets, as it gets shuffled around. Uh, I, I, I haven't, I don't know what the, what the, the, uh, the, the landscape of a truck looks like during normal. I only work during peak season. So, oh, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so I, I know, I know what it can look like as opposed to necessarily what it does look like most days, but, uh. Uh, I was amazed that those some of the boxes made it through <laughs> at all. So. Yes, yes. Uh, so it's just it's just fascinating. <laughs> I think that's that's where I'm going to leave that particular topic at. Just the the excitement that was in the article itself, and then just like thinking back to to like the UPS days. Uh, gave right. me a little bit of a giggle. Well, it's pretty exciting. It is. It is sort of like the Dyson vacuum of of, uh, of shipping boxes. You know, <laughs> like it is. It is everything you know. You thought you kind of understood about this, done in a way that 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 makes it like sort of fresh and exciting, and at the same time, you know, the bonus level of it's totally accessible, or mm-hmm. you know, or certainly more accessible than you know everything completely wrapped down with tape. And it sounds like. This is the direction all of Microsoft is moving with their packaging, too. That would be amazing. So that would, that, that would be really cool if they managed to work that all out. And I do really appreciate that, like, the increase in popularity of unboxing videos has, has <laughs> yes. brought us to this point where <laughs> we get nice boxes to, to actually have right now. Like, some of the cell phone boxes are just a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got a Galaxy Three. I'm still using my Galaxy Three, <laughs> and I remember getting the box. It was like it was like a slip case with like a night. It was like a, it was like opening a, a jewelry. Like, I expected there to be a brooch, you know, yeah. a brooch with like codes to something on it. <laughs> you know, as, as I opened it up and light to come out of the thing, but no, it's just a cell phone. <laughs> so leaving our boxes behind, 
Nintendo <laughs> sues And now we have a name for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we were boxes behind. There we go. There you go, Anwar. Uh, Nintendo sues to shut down two big ROM sites. <laughs> Games are expensive. We know this. And there will be people who will look for alternative ways to play the game. Uh, sometimes they call that pirating. <laughs> sometimes. And companies have been combating it in different ways. Like, uh, I forget which one was it. But if you pirated their game after a certain point, you couldn't go any further, and it just looked like a glitch in the game. And when people were complaining about it online, the game company would come back with like, oh, you must have pirated, because that only happens if you pirate the version. Right. Uh, so that, that's that been a thing. Serious Sam sent a invincible, like, red scorpion man to chase you the entire game. And like you couldn't, it was you know, it was like the whole game. You're just being chased by this invincible enemy, and so you could play through the game. <laughs> but like, there's there's this thing just constantly on you, and and that was that was their way of just sort of like, oh, you know. Well, on the flip side of the pirating, there's also a move to save titles that are that aren't available on systems today, right? Yeah. Particularly like any NES games, uh, Nintendo Nintendo games. Well. Nintendo is also one of the biggest defenders of any of their property, any of it. They will come after you, which is what happened to one particular guy. Uh, let me open the article real quick because I'm trying to remember the names. Yeah, um, they, uh, I mean, well, when you have a stable of IP like they do, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, intellectual rights in general is sort of a big a big deal. They, they are, they have been equated multiple times to being like the Disney of video games. Which is very apt, I think. I mean, that, yes, I would agree with that because it screams a lot. Of, like their games is very family friendly, <laughs> and so is Disney. It's designed; they're designed to be more family family friendly. So it is but with weird innuendo. <laughs> <laughs> love love ROMs. Disney? I'm just gonna keep going. Plow, <laughs> plow right through this. Uh, love ROMs. Jeez, oh, that didn't even sound right either. Love ROMs and love Ooh. retro. Websites uh, were two of the biggest, uh, it says here, most open and notorious online hubs for pirated video games. Uh, Nintendo's suit was filed July 19th for the District of Arizona, and they cited as like millions of dollars worth of damage. In response, the person that ran that site, because it sounded like I think one of our members said it was one person, the person that ran that site, he shut down one and then pulled all of Nintendo's games off of the other. Uh, I think it's Love Rom that he shut down and Love Retro where he pulled all of the games games off of. <clears throat> and we've talked about in the past like the importance of protecting your intellectual property. If you, for whatever reason, go, oh, I don't care if they use my character's likeness, then you lose your right to defend your property. Uh, you can't retroactively go back and go, well, I don't like how this person created this Rule 34 cartoon. I don't like that at all. But because you've already said that it's okay for them to do that, you can't do anything about this. <laughs> yeah, the, it is, I mean, copyright law in general is, is sort of weird. And mm-hmm. and I, especially we live in a remix culture and, mm-hmm. you know, like mashup shirts and, you know, and, and you, you, I've noticed at least that a lot of the official like shirt punch and, and, um, like I am eight bits and Fan Gamer, they've they've gone out of their way to try to make their products as official as they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mondo, that's another example. I, and and so, you know, and I, I but at the same time, I also feel like the abundance of fan art and mashup stuff that's happening and is out there. The, the creators, to some extent, like I'm amazed it took Nintendo this long to go after a ROM site. Like they've done it in the past. I have to wonder if it isn't somewhat related to the popularity of the classics and, and maybe perhaps more importantly, the hacking of the classics, which mm-hmm. seems to be very easy to do. Because uh, I guess this, the, the one site, they said they had like 7 million unique visitors uh, mm-hmm. like a month or something like that, or maybe it was a week. Uh, and, 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 and if I was Nintendo at that point, this isn't like this isn't a, like a group of people just looking to, 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 to play video games that they, they, don't, they can't get anymore. You know, it's like it's... it's Maybe not nefarious, but at this point, it's it's like that's seven million people that could be buying these things, you know. So I, I if you'd sell them all, right? We yeah, here is <laughs> Nintendo. Take our money again and again yeah. and again. Right. So speaking on suing, uh, Star Citizens, one of Star Citizens' backers, 
sues to get $4,500 back and loses the lawsuit. Star Citizen, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with Star Citizen other than it is a Kickstarter game. They pulled in $190 million. Over multiple campaigns. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a line in here that I really like, but just to kind of open up on this one. So Star Citizen is a game that is being Kickstarter or funded by Kickstarter. And it has been in development for about seven years. I think that's what the article said, was seven years. One guy, super into it, loved everything he was seeing about Star Citizen and just started backing it as much as he can. Over the course of the time, over the course of the seven years, he's put in $4,500. Star Citizen, as games sometimes do, ended up changing a lot of the way that they were going to do things. And some of that stuff he didn't like. One of it being a first-person shooter aspect. He has MS, I want to say, is what I think is going on in the article. It gives him a... He has a disability that he can't play his, like, um, quick-time event games, right? Which is what a lot of first-person shooters are, right? You have to have... Yeah, have have to have really, really solid, quick reflexes. And he just doesn't have that. And then... They took away the co-op aspect of it, which would have allowed him to be pulled through the game by some friends. Well, without that, there wasn't anything he could do. He did get invited because he was one of the early backers to be a beta tester and some of the stuff. He didn't like what he saw there, and he started asking for his money back. He wanted out. He wanted to take back because it wasn't going to be a game that he could play. He put in a request with their service support. And got nothing back. So for, I think he was saying for like a month, he was trying to get in contact. He like was on their forms, right. using their customer support line. He was just getting dead air the entire time. Then he sends them a notice saying, if you don't answer me by this date, I'm going to take you to court. He did. <laughs> of course they didn't. So he took him to court. He eventually lost. And one of the things that they pointed out in this article is... At some point in time, over the course of the development, they changed their refund policy. They said 14 days, you have 14 days for refund. Everything, uh, except for his first pledge, all the rest of his pledges was after that change. He didn't realize the change went into effect. Everybody says it doesn't matter. You also, apparently, when you are going to make a donation, you have to accept the terms of use. So he did. And then it's on him. (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> for not reading thoroughly enough on the refund policy. And, and then we've heard this from other groups before, like what happens if you don't refund after a certain time? You know, that's your fault for not reading all the way through. Um, not, not that I'm agreeing with it. I'm <laughs> just saying this is... This these is effects. Yeah, these are... This is... It's nothing new. We've heard about this before. All right, so he's been wanting out, and he didn't, he didn't get his money back. Uh, the article says he doesn't care. Uh, he's happy that he went... He j- at least tried. He just... Disappointed that it's a game he was really excited about but didn't get it. In the article, they talk about scope creep. Right, mm. this is a game that fell prey to scope creep, and this is a line. Let me find it real quick. This is a line that I really, really like. Unless they change the article and it's not there anymore. Uh, uh, they didn't just figure out how to sell DLC for a game that didn't yet exist. They figured out how to sell scope creep itself. I think that's really. Like, puts a lot of Kickstarter games on blast. Because <laughs> a lot of them do end up in scope creep. When the, mo- the moment, it seems like the moment that the money kind of starts rolling in, it's when they're like, now I can do so much. And they just go on and on and on. And we've seen, like, in the past and what happens with some games that get caught up in scope creep. Eventually, like, their funds run dry, their publishers don't come back in, and they're just like, we don't know what to do now. Uh, but their strategy has worked out for them to the tune of $190 million. Yeah, no, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's, impre- I mean, it's impressive that the fan base was, was driven enough to do that. Um, and, but I think it, it, it this on both sides, right. It, it, on their side and on the investor's side, it, it shows this, this sort of lack of, of real understanding as to like what, you know, what, what all of this is really, you know, like, uh, at some point, I mean, the scope creep aspect, I think, is it's it's like a, a movie director without their editor. You know, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's you know that they're they're 
the the pushback, the push and pull between a publisher and a, and a game maker is is important. Um, I think you know even even so, when I, I developed arcade games, and so our main clients were Chuck E. Cheese and like Dave and Buster's, and they would come back and they'd say, "Look, we need we we made mostly racing games," and they'd say, "Look, we need we need you to shorten this track." You know, like like our our metrics are all based on like X number of money per second per space, you know, allowed in our in our in our spaces. And and that wasn't always what we wanted to hear, but ultimately we were selling to them. So mm-hmm. it was important, you know, and in and in this case, the the you know, the investors are the people that they're selling to. But there's it feels to me, Star Citizen particularly feels to me very much about the sort of this the aggrandizing of the the main person, the main creative thrust yeah. of the project. It's like, oh, we can do this now, and if we get this much money, we can do this, completely ignoring the fact that, like, it's been X number of years, and there still really isn't a product. Like, it's it's in early access, and it's playable, but it's not it's not done, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas you look, I think if you look at something like uh, Hollow Knight or Shovel Knight, a lot of nights there, uh, it, like, they, they created a core game, and then they designed their additional stretch goal Kickstarter stuff yeah. to... to sock it into that main experience so at the very least even if everything fell apart you got that core base thing mm-hmm. uh, and, and, I, and I feel like Star Citizen to me it just it's, it's kind of like you know, what is this thing yeah, so know? change the name to Star Knight and you may actually finish it <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> that's the takeaway on that one <laughs> uh, I want to get into it a little bit I don't we don't have a whole lot of time for it but I wanted to like explore like the different funding avenues that game developers have been using uh, Kickstarter being one of the main ones, but then you also have ones like Patreon. Uh, it's those that do like stuff on itch.io, just kind of get fig. in. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. Is that the one you mentioned? Yeah, yeah, fig. Yeah, fig is um, fig is, is is like is like equity, and I mean I'm using that term wrong. <laughs> uh, you you invest monetarily, and you're rewarded monetarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's cool. a double fine started that along with I think I think I want to say Michael said the gearbox is part of that as well. They are. Yeah. They so. are. Uh, I was looking into it yesterday because I wanted to understand a little bit more. There's another part of it where game developers are now starting to look out into like blockchain and cryptocurrency as a way of funding or monetizing their game in a sense that it's like an incentive for the players. So there's a lot to unpack there. I'd love to explore it one day in one of our episodes. But for now, <laughs> this is where we're at. Uh, okay, so Friday, we didn't actually talk a whole lot. There wasn't a whole lot at the at the Friday Club. There weren't a whole lot of people at the Friday Club, so we touched on some topics that we talked about on Thursday. But one of the things we didn't talk about on Thursday was Microsoft's streaming Xbox will split up games to keep latency low. Uh, okay, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack on that one. The... They're going to create something like a Steam box. I don't know if you guys remember the Steam box or when Valve tried to create their own console using Steam. I called the Steam box. <laughs> on hamster on a wheel on it. Yeah, on Microsoft, they're doing something that's similar. The thing that they've been coming across is the latency problems in commands. So when you hit a button, it has to travel a long way, then it has to work its way through a lot of servers, and then maybe it'll read it that you punched. Right. So instead of getting caught up in that, what they're thinking is splitting the game up in two parts. The part that is on the servers that's regularly played, and then the part that's sort of the responses that's going to be housed on the unit itself. That's how I took it and how I understood the article. If I'm wrong, please let me know on Facebook or on Discord or <laughs> plenty of ways to join. Uh, anyways. Or you could call in right now. <laughs> yes. Man, we've had that go off like in the middle of of some of our One of these days, stage. we should answer it. <laughs> Hello? Nirvana, Hello. how can I help you? Uh, okay. So, it's really interesting to see them try to, like, solve that latency issue because we've talked about streaming just in general and how, like, if you don't have, like, a solid interface, not interface, infrastructure, jeez, solid infrastructure in, in a certain area, it could drive your latency up. Right? And we're talking anywhere between lag time in-game and lag time on you pressing commands right. or not being able to access certain parts of whatever game you're doing. <laughs> like, there's a guy making faces at me. It's weird. Um, <laughs> I, I could moon him. I could moon him. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my glass. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to take a picture of our pod. Like, we keep getting derailed, but one day I'm just going to take a picture of our podcast booth and just show everybody what it looks like. Here's where the magic happens. Yes, here's the magic. Okay, going back. So the latency issue, That's I, I, it's interesting on how they're trying to solve it. And When it comes from so many different sources, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I, I enjoy rhythm games and, you know, like the classic rhythm game thing is it's like make sure to put your television in the game mode so there isn't like that millisecond delay. You know, and, and I can only imagine like a high level, I mean, certainly at high level play, uh, you know, a, re- a real-time strategy game or a first-person shooter is going to require that level of click and response, you know, like, so it, it, I mean, it's not that I don't think that they're going to do it. I mean, eventually they'll figure it out. But I, I remember hearing stories about like Nintendo controllers, you know, like the Super Nintendo controllers, Genesis controllers, and like latency was a huge issue with them. And that was, you know, that was a while ago, so the technology wasn't there, but the whole idea of like not being able to control the, the you know the like the television. I mean that that's that can, they can manage that I suppose. But like not being able to control every aspect of every server and every, you know, fiber fiber optic line or every phone line or every what you know DSL line whatever whatever you're using. You know. 6 K. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like some of you know, still like, in the nineties. <laughs> exactly, man. Get get body, uh, but <laughs> the uh, yeah it's it's it's. I don't know how they'd necessarily overcome that. I mean, again, they're working on it, but that does seem like some kind of gaming utopia. Right. So here it says, games are split up into two parts referred to as slices or splices. One part runs in the cloud, the Azure cloud, the A-Z-U-R-E-E. I can never pronounce it right. The Azure cloud and the other part runs on the console itself. So it opens it up to a large variety of games and not just like fast response ones, although fast response ones are the ones that are targeted the most. Sure. They say the downside to this approach is that it could make the hardware more expensive. Uh, and that's the, uh, make the hardware more, more expensive and require subscription, subscriptions to streaming games, right? We'll see. Um, I mean, it's not like... I think they'll botch it, but somebody else will come along and do the same thing much better. That's that's my prediction. (laughs) Well, I mean, didn't Steambox already botch it, and now we have the second person coming in and trying to do it better? Well, I feel like... I mean, mean, it's not not necessarily a new idea. Even even currently in Japan, um, I think Capcom is... is, uh, Well, I like Sega as well. They're streaming... MMO games and like it was like it was it like Resident Evil Seven and I think they're they're looking at something where where it's all you're streaming the game to your Switch yeah and uh, and and it supposedly it works it works decently well in my understanding um, but 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 um, but again it's that like how do you how do you blanket the world with that kind of there's you know, consistency. streaming stuff I know you can do on on PlayStation Two my buddy Brandon and I just a couple weeks ago were streaming Code Veronica X which is Probably my favorite Resident Evil game, but it worked all right. And I feel like in that environment, those games work, you know, decently well. Again, it's because it, I mean, not not that there's an intense parts in that game, but there is sort of a like you know like a, a yeah, those tension. ponytail mechanics right. are, yeah. are pretty. Send it to the cloud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've got Claire's ponytail in the cloud. Everything else is on the console. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, so that's everything we've talked about. Okay. From last week. And now, before we get into talking with you and learning about you, uh, I got to go through our shout-outs because there are a couple people that we need a shout-out to. First, <laughs> first being Nerdvana. Of course, thank you always for allowing us to be here. We come here on Fridays. Like I said, we come here on Fridays. We have we sometimes play board games after the <laughs> hour that we allot to just join the club. Uh, they've been super kind to allow us to continue to to do with the podcast here so thank you as always of course thank you to trey who do, has been doing amazing i heard the last podcast that we did with you daniel and he added a bit in there that we'd never heard before so i love it uh definitely looking forward yeah. to listening back on this episode too trey, uh, rules. <laughs> trey uh, rules trey rules and of course thank you to anwar for sticking around and getting these episodes up on time He's been working really hard. I think soon we'll be releasing some of our lost episodes. They're just episodes that during the process of getting a lot of our stuff up and going, there's some episodes that didn't make it on when they were meant to make it on. So we're just going to release those as our lost episodes. You may be hearing, may see like two drops this week or sometime. 
Um, who knows? I, I'm super excited for it. And thank you to Daniel for coming in and Joel for showing up. <laughs> I'd be here. Uh, I was really worried when I heard that Michael wasn't going to make it today because he normally sets up the entire room and gets it all going. So we sound awesome. Uh, and it, less work for Trey. Sorry, Trey. It was me today. <laughs> Here we go. All right. So that, that's the shout outs. Thank you. <laughs> now here. Now let's go ahead and meet. Without further ado. <laughs> meet our guest. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We have a guest. Oh, my God. We have a guest. Kids, clean up. We have a guest! We have a guest! We've waited a while uh, to meet you. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about you. Who experienced in games? Okay. Uh, so, my name's Joel Hires. I am... I've been pronouncing your last name wrong this entire time. It's okay. People <laughs> do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the I, I'm a... An artist in general, sort of drawing and painting, but I've worked in the game industry in, in various capacity for, for over a decade now. Uh, I guess I'll, so, yeah, so I, the first the first job I had was actually making uh, games for Palm Pilots, of all things. So, uh, uh, so that was, that was exciting times, uh, you know, like, uh, there's nothing quite like graduating from art school and being told, all right, you got to make video games. You have 256 colors to do it with. <laughs> have fun. Uh, but that, that was, it, was a, it was a great job. I love that job. The uh, small company, we had a deal with, uh, it's called Bearded Toad. We had a, a deal with um, a local company here called Handmark, which I believe is still around. And uh, the, they had a deal with Mattel, so we ended up doing a lot of board game stuff. So we did like uh, Battleship and, and uh, Triple Pursuits and Yahtzee and we made Palm Pilot, eventually Pocket PC and early smartphone versions of a lot of that. Or not, not even early smart, early cell phone <laughs> versions of that stuff. Uh, and then uh, after that job, I did casino gaming for a while, video casino gaming. Uh, so slot machines and stuff like that. And I did that for a few years and... Uh, you get a lot of insight into how that world works, uh, for good or for ill. Uh, <laughs> I'm not not a big fan personally, but um, <laughs> like, I take take everything you think you think you dislike about loot boxes and throw that into <laughs> throw that into a casino environment, and that's kind of that's essentially uh, what a slot machine is. Rebecca's eyes have fire. In them. I know I've been right? triggered too. <laughs> like, oh, whoa, loot boxes! Let's begin. No, please keep going. Uh, and then uh, after that. Um, I uh, moved to Chicago, uh, and I got to work for a company called Raw Thrills, which is uh, an arcade developer, um, probably most known for the Fast and the Furious arcade games, mm -hmm. and um, the the so overall company, the, the biggest game related to the company is probably Big Buck Hunter, which was made by the sister studio, Plane Mechanics. And uh, my, my section of the company was headed by a man named Eugene Jarvis, who is a legend in the arcade industry. Uh, Robotron, Defender, NARC, Cruising USA. In fact, the, the team, specifically the team that I worked with, was the direct lineage of the Cruising USA, Cruising Exotica, Cruising World team. So a lot of our racing games were, are along those lines. In fact, sort of since I left, they released a new cruising game along, you know, with Nintendo uh, in the in arcades. Uh, I don't... I, Called cruising. I'm not sure what the sub the subline is, but it's, it's more modern. But it's still it's still very much the cruising gameplay that, that people have grown to love. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was quite a, it was quite 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 an honor to work with him. Quite an experience. And uh, since then, I uh, I I left a few years ago and uh, sort of explore my own options. Maybe explore indie or or to try and find uh, uh, another group of people to make uh, a video game with. Um, mm. <clears throat> so one of one of the questions that I love asking, especially creators in general, is there a formative game for you? Something that just like really inspired you to get into the game game industry, or something that you look back and go, "This is where I've gotten a lot of my inspiration from." Uh, well, I, I, I pull inspiration from everything, but I can tell you the exact moment that mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to make video games. So, and this actually relates to to uh, to what we were talking about earlier. So uh, when I was younger, you know, as a kid, you know, me and my buddy would we'd call up Nintendo and be like, huh, "How do you how do you make how, how do you make video games?" <laughs> and then and we get different answers, like you know, because sometimes cause they knew that we were kids and like and like for legal reasons they couldn't, you know. So some of them would say, "Well, you know, 
submit a, like an idea or something like that. So, and then, and then occasionally like, you know, someone would give us you really, they'd give you, they'd give you the real answer and they'd be like, well, you need to learn how to program. And, you need to, and we're 10 years old and we're like, oh gee, this is hard. And, and, uh, and so, but I knew I could draw. So, so that was kind of, and so I kind of put that in the, in the back shelf. Uh, I went to college at Carnegie Mellon University and my freshman year in the first couple months of, of school, you know, you get in that habit when you live in a dorm of kind of walking up and down the halls just to get your board and you want to see what's going on. And I, I heard I heard music and I recognized this music, but I didn't know I didn't know what it was. Like, I like it was it was on the tip of my brain, but I was like I was like, I know this song, I started humming along and I'm walking down and I chased traced to the room and I'm standing there and it hits me. It's bubble bobble. <laughs> what? You you're familiar with bubble bobble? Uh, Bubble Bobble was a, it's an arcade game, NES game. It's one of the first games I ever played on my Nintendo Entertainment System as a kid. And you, you play as uh, two, one of two princes that's been transformed via magic into a dinosaur that blows bubbles and you capture the enemies with these bubbles. But it has this infectious song that runs through it. And just goes on, it just loops, it's a loop, you know, forever. And so that, you know, that song, it just, drilled itself into my subconscious. And I had not thought about that game in years at this point. And, uh, and, and I go, you're playing Bubble Bobble. And then and he's like, yeah. And I go, how are you playing Bubble Bobble? <laughs> because he didn't have a Nintendo. He had a controller and it was, had, it was hooked up to his, to his computer. And he said, yeah, I'm playing on an emulator. And I was like, what was that? <laughs> and then it was like, immediately, it was like, I gotta find every emulator ever and get every, oh, these are all the games I used to own. And I, you know, I don't have any more. My Nintendo hasn't worked in years. And it was this, this, this like fervor, and, and it was about that moment where I was like, oh, this is real, like this is a thing. Like I'm at a school, like, I, I went to Carnegie Mellon for, uh, for art, but, mm-hmm. but like I was surrounded by engineers and programmers, and my friends traditionally had been engineers and programmers growing up, or they, you know, they became engineers and programmers. So, so it, was this, it was this kind of eye-opening of like, this is so important to me that this song has been rattling around in my brain all of these years. And and like all of these memories sort of flooded back the excitement and the and the, the like the wonder and the joy like I've heard I've heard people say that the first time they saw a video game they were amazed that it was like a cartoon that they could control yeah and and and, and I can totally appreciate it. it wasn't my experience for whatever reason like I got it pretty pretty quickly I was like oh this is this is a game except on your television and I had I had Taiwanese neighbors who had a Famicom when I when I was in like second grade. And and I got to come over and 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 the 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 the, the my neighbor showed me uh, Super Mario Brothers two or Super Mario no, Super Mario was one and Super Mario, the Japanese version of Super Mario Brothers two and so like all of those early memories of like the joy and the wonder like even as an artist I I don't know that my my motivation is is to, like to make a masterpiece my my ultimate like my art teacher used to ask me this question in high school like you know sort of art statement what, why are you doing this mm-hmm. and i used to say i just want to make something cool mm. and 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 what i really meant was is i want someone to look at something that i've done and i want their brain to ignite you know like with yeah. like the possibilities and the wonder and and so seeing seeing the art form transform and seeing you know you know just just what is what is capable when you give someone an experience, you know, like the, the power in that, I think has, has really been what's sort of pulled me through. And so even though, even though I still have yet to make like the console uh, or, or like sort of single player game of my dreams uh, or even, even, even on a team level, I've, I've yet to do that. I, I keep, it's what I want to do. You know, I, I drawing and painting might be my first love video games were a very close second. They're just it's butting up against it. And uh, working with a team in that regard is is amazing. You know the the triumphs as well as just the joy of, of seeing people interact with your creation yeah. and have those moments of of joy and wonder themselves. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about two of your latest projects. Uh, one of them was Daniel Shea's album cover. Yes, you did one yeah. for Daniel Shea. You also released a series of artworks of kind of like a cult. <laughs> Yeah, well, they're not they're not done yet. It's mm-hmm. um, uh, it, 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 I call it the series is called the Magi, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's sort of like skull priests uh, and then sort of rituals and orders. It's it's designed to be a a series of of, of painted images uh, with music uh, like one track per image provided by a good composer friend of mine, Christian Kriegescott. Uh, we went to college together. And uh, yeah, it's kind of an in progress. Or about there's sort of the plan is is seven 
seven pieces uh, of art and seven uh, seven tracks of music, and then to sort of release it as kind of an like an art LP kind of art object sort okay. of thing. Uh, uh, but yeah, I'm still kind of in the middle of that. Uh, he he's actually my, the composer. Christian is uh, he's sort of we <laughs> our lives are are this weird rotating point. Mm-hmm. So when one of us has a job, the other of us doesn't. <laughs> and, 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 and the minute the one of us begins to change our direction, the other one's direction begins to change. So, so he just lost his job. So I'm kind of excited about potentially it's my turn to get a job now. <laughs> so, so that that's uh, kind of fun. Uh, but but so the project is. Is uh, we we do it when we have time, uh, and uh, 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 it's it's kind of it's sort of evolved a little bit um, mm-hmm. as I've gone into it. It's one of the he he my friend Christian says that this is the, this is the most me thing that I've ever done, which which I, I guess I don't I don't disagree with, but it's not it's not finished yet, so mm-hmm. it's hard to uh, it's hard to see it with that lens. But uh, it is exciting. It is cool. Um, now, when he says me things, does that mean like the way that he feels like? Uh, it feels like I'm doing something for myself for the very first time or something, or he means in you. Like this, he knew from the beginning that this was the kind of stuff you specialize in and he's happy to see you do it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think in this, in this, I mean, the music is very much him as well, but mm-hmm. in, in the way the way he said it, he meant it more sort of like, this is the first time you're doing what you want to do as opposed to maybe guessing what other people want you to do, mm-hmm. which which is a pretty, you know, it's an important, an important barrier to cross as an artist or a creative period. It's, I, I'm doing I'm doing this because this is this is me you know regurgitated mm-hmm. <laughs> onto the page right, or, right, you know right. uh, so there's another question that I have every Thursday and Friday when I get to see you you're always drawing always drawing uh, when when I was younger one of the biggest advice that I was given as a writer was to always write yeah. right and that I've seen artists take that into in a bigger style sure as so is that an advice, advice that you would give to anybody that's looking to get into art? Absolutely. Uh, but I understand why people don't listen to it, because <laughs> I didn't listen to it for decades. I, I, I like to say I'm about 10 years behind developmentally for most people. <laughs> uh, you know, I feel like I, like I was in my 30s when I decided to rebel against society, <laughs> as opposed to in your 20s, where it's a lot safer and easier to do, because you don't have decades worth of career and life uh, in front of you at that point. Uh, but, but I think it's important... As a creative, as an engineer, as a you know, as a whatever whatever you're doing in life, it's important to remember that your everything everything you cultivate within yourself is a skill. Uh, you know, the most the most direct comparison would be learning an instrument or being an athlete. You t- you could talk to anyone, any high level. You know, even the NBA players, even the professional football players, every every musician that's played in the greatest orchestras and the greatest bands in existence. They're still sitting down for an hour, two hours, three hours a day doing the basic warm-up stuff, you know, mm-hmm. practicing scales, you know, shooting three throws, whatever it is. And drawing, for whatever reason, I had sort of internalized this as the drawing, the art, the act of art making was magic. You know, there, 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 were, there was a threshold uh, that you would reach, like some level of enlightenment, and, and then you just you just coast at that level forever, <laughs> and you can do whatever you want. It's, it's, it's totally magic. And then at some point... I began to think about what magic actually was, uh, like stage magic specifically. Mm-hmm. And it's people who have worked so long and so hard to do one thing that it appears as if it's magic, even though it's incredibly technical and incredibly specific. Every movement of hand, every wink of a finger is done for a reason, for a purpose. And then I began to think, well, why, why have I never thought about the art-making process this way? And that's when I really, in earnest, began drawing every day. So I want to, I want to, uh, for those, for those of you that haven't had a chance to see, you have an Instagram and you have a website. Yeah. Right. Um, you also have a Facebook. I'm not going to tell people no, to go, okay. yeah, to no, go no, Facebook okay. you. Uh, but Stalk I, him. <laughs> <laughs> like, go, go, quick. I'm infinitely stockable. <laughs> Some of the art that I've seen, uh, I'm, you've done like illustrated images of naked bodies. And yeah, such. yeah, figure drawing is very yes, important. Yes, that, that's one of the things that I saw. Uh, a teacher told us a story, a teacher that I used to have told us a story about somebody that was really wanting to get into it. And she told the girl, go draw anatomy. Just that. Hands, mm-hmm. feet, uh, parts. Go go draw the anatomy. Study anatomy books and do, and do that. And I see that in your work uh, and a lot of the things that you've been putting out. 
Yeah, well, there's, so there's, there's, there's drawing, painting, you know, representational artwork. There's, there's sort of two elements to it. At least this is the way I've internalized it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, uh, there's perception and there's technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, perception is your ability to sort of understand what it is that you're drawing or painting uh, spatially, you know, like the, the color, emotionally, whatever, whatever. And then technique, technique is like, is like using any particular tool and then being able to accomplish. So it's like a, think of technique as the printer and, uh, and perception is like the stylization, right? So if you have incredible technique but no perception, all you're ultimately going to be is really good at printing what you see. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and with perception, you get into distortion, you get into emotion, you get into the, the way your personality, for lack of a better word, taints the, 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 the purest you know, uh, input from the world. The, the, there's a the joke about like, you know, what are we, what are, you know, what, what's uh, genetic engineering? It's like, oh, we use it to correct God's horrible mistakes, right? Well, Jesus. so, so, <laughs> right, yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's a joke, but, but, but the, the artists, right, that's, that's very much, you know, what we do, it's uh, optical illusions, right? They, they exist for a reason because our brains aren't best at interpreting things. So one of the early things you learn when you're, when you're studying reality or doing studies is that occasionally you have to change reality to better uh, project to the viewer what it is they're looking at. Because ultimately you're taking uh, dimensional objects or on a more abstract level emotion and you're, you're placing it on a two-dimensional plane in front of a viewer. Mm-hmm. And so, so anything you can do on that greater level to, to, to bring that out, to enhance the depth or the foreshortening, all of that comes into play. And uh, so part of studying uh, I believe that's where the question came from. Mm-hmm. Part part of part of studying reality, even if like I don't, I tend to to draw a lot from my imagination, mm-hmm. uh, partially because I'm lazy <laughs> and I don't want to find reference for absolutely everything I draw, but also because it is working on the sort of perception aspect. So so I, I like at high level, drawing from imagination is rendering from imagination the way you would render from reality. Mm-hmm. You are you are gazing with your mind's eye and, and pulling forms and putting them onto the page. Uh, so the artists uh, that are really tremendous at this, that just, they, again, they look like, this is, it comes back to the magician thing. They look like magicians, right? It, it's really, I don't, <laughs> I have a hard time looking at very skilled artists because it's hard to learn anything from them because they are so many levels above where I am that they're not, they don't have to do all that pre uh, sketching, you know, they're just drawing. They're rendering purely from imagination. Compressing all their skills. Exactly, because they're because they're not, they don't have to think about it anymore. They've they've internalized it to such a high degree that they're like they're, it's automatic for them. Uh, there was a there's a, a book series called The Magicians, and uh, it's sort of like uh, Harry Potter and Narnia yeah. crossed there's with. There's a TV show. There is, yeah, there is, yeah. Uh, I I I've only seen a few episodes of the TV show, but I I read through all three books. And uh, one of the, I, I like to call the magicians uh, young adult fiction for 30-year-olds <laughs> because, because the, the, the message, and it works for 20-year-olds as well, but, but the message of the books is sort of like achieving your dreams is, is usually not the answer. That, they're, that they're, not only is it harder than you, you think it will be, even once you achieve it, even once you get there, it's not, you're not going to feel extra fulfilled. Like, it's not going to be like a light switch, you know? Like, part of the drives you to, to get better and, and sort of perfect yourself is, is also part of, it's like that hole inside of you, you know, mm-hmm. that, that you're looking to fill. Uh, and, and anyway, but there's, there's this whole, the way they treat magic in that world is that these people aren't, like, naturally gifted uh, in the sense that they have, like, a magical spark. They are literally geniuses who understand things at such a high level that the magic in their world is less whimsical magic and much more like a math equation gotcha. and so they're speaking they're speaking words and they're doing equations based on positions of the sun but they're doing this they know it intrinsically so when they're doing hand gestures and speaking words they're also running all these other calculations automatically through their head and the, the concept of that was fascinating to me and this is this is kind of as i started changing my view of, of my art making process and it was it was just it was like no you have to Part of the wonder of being human is that we're blanks. Mm-hmm. You know, we have opposable thumbs, but we're not specialized for anything else, right? And so we turn ourselves into, into 
machines that do whatever it is we're interested in. Mm-hmm. And that, that seeing that arc is, is fascinating. So. And who, you were going to list some artists that are like, that appear that magical. Oh, uh, I, I'm probably mispronouncing his name. The guy's on Instagram, and, and you can find videos of him. Kim, Kim Jong-ji, I believe. Uh, in like, in, in uh, Katsuya Terada. Uh, there's, there's a few guys on Instagram, uh, like this guy named Miles Art, which does these beautiful uh, uh, graphite drawings that you just, it, it seems so, like, it seems so easy to them. It's natural, right? And, that, and that's sort of where the magic comes from, where I, I don't think anybody would look at my artwork and go, oh, that, no, that, that's easy for him. <laughs> no, like, it's a oh, struggle hey, every hey time. Now. <laughs> well, no, that's the complete opposite. Like, we, I watched you one day, one day, uh, you started the the piece on a Thursday, mm. and you came and you're finishing it on a Friday. While having, like, 15 different conversations. Yes, at the same time. <laughs> so don't come at me with, like, oh, no, you don't see it. And like, no. <laughs> and again, with no reference. You don't have to, like, look at somebody posing in a particular way. It's just, oh, here, here's a demon. Perfectly sculpted. <laughs> that was exactly it, right? Yeah. There was one where he had like a guy and like a demon over him. And I was like, that, that, see? That's exactly it. So we hired you to do some character art for us. Yes, yeah. Right? We, yeah. we are currently in the middle of that project, right? Yeah, yeah. So Got that's, some more sketches to show. Yeah, that's specifically why I hired you was because of the, just the, just that <laughs> in general. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you're just, yeah. you're just sitting there. You looked at somebody and the next thing I know, you look down, and you're already drawing something else. You're you're sketching out a body or something, and it's like over the course of like the hour that was going on through all the conversations, <laughs> you had like a fully fleshed out human and starting on the outline of the demon, and that just blew me away. Sure. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, I it, it, again, it's like, um, the, there's that quote about uh, technology. You know, mm-hmm. any any piece of technology highly advanced enough will appear to others. That, appear to you as magic, mm-hmm. right? Well, the skill level thing is that metaphor, mm-hmm. you know, like it, the, the, when I look at, when I look at the, the, the names of the artists that I mentioned, like all I can see is like what I'm, what I'm lacking, which I guess is not uncommon for creatives, obviously. I think that's uh, very common. And I, I think that I, maybe Daniel can also speak to it. I feel like a lot of the times we get caught up in an imposter syndrome. Sure. Right? Even though we have all of the skills for, for people that don't realize what imposter syndrome is, it's that moment where you feel fake. And when you look at somebody that's way more skilled and you're afraid that they're going to realize that you are not as skilled as them. Yeah. Right? You're afraid that people are going to look at you and see all of your flaws and know that you are not good enough. That's what imposter syndrome is, right? And that's what a lot of people that reach a certain level of success get caught up in. Like, I'm in it all the time because I started a business and I get caught up in this. But when I was going to the game developer conference, one of the reasons why I stopped going was I got caught up an imposter syndrome. Mm. And I started getting jealous and angry at people yeah. because I yeah. felt like they were so much better and it got hard to read and write. I didn't touch it anymore right, for a well, long and, time. And it doesn't even have to be people that are necessarily like above you or or even better than you at all the things. They may just be like like really excelled at like two things that are different from the from the things that you're really excelled at, right? And mm-hmm. so but you see that they're so good at this thing that you have to try a little harder at and you may be better at these other things than them, mm-hmm. you know, but but the the self-consciousness right. is still And so I feel like like where you're at is is you're caught up in that imposter syndrome now. And oh, that's yeah, a lot of yeah, a <laughs> yeah. lot of like even at even at work some of the creatives that I that I work with have come to me and it's like I'm having a really hard time right now because I don't feel like I'm good enough. I'm like, well, what's making you feel that way? And some things, there's like, it's an internalized thing, like like we talked about, like for you, it's very much an internalized thing. For them, it was an outward thing, right? They weren't getting a huge amount of approval. They weren't being validated in some sort of way. And so it was just increasing that feeling of being an an imposter, that because they weren't receiving some sort of feedback on how good their work was, that it wasn't good. Uh, even though, like I said regularly, it's awesome. But apparently I come off very disingenuous because it's my favorite <laughs> word to use. Yeah. <laughs> so but that, that's where I feel like that you're kind of at. And, and I've seen other people in our club get kind of caught up in that too. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to get there. It's hard yeah. to get out. Yeah. Hard to get out. Well, because you, you, think, you think confidence or success solves that problem, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. Mm-mm. You know, like, like, like you're, you're the... <laughs> the the Wolverine quote, you know, like you know, like 
you know, we popping those claws out. Does that hurt? And he's like, it hurts every time. <laughs> it's like every time you sit down to start something new, it's it's that same ripping the band-aid off every time. <coughs> I've killed Rebecca. Oh no. No, water and breathing doesn't work at the same time. It's tricky, yeah. Those, mer- uh, <laughs> those mermaids really got that figured out. We haven't reached that stage of evolution. Oh, uh, we're getting to that. What is what is the game called? The joke failed because I couldn't remember the game. Spore? No, Inklings. <laughs> Uh, Splatoon. Splatoon. There yeah. we go. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay, it failed. Anyways. I still okay. need to play too. Fantastic game. Yes. Uh, so, awesome. Uh, awesome. Here, here's my favorite word. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Like the last thing I want to ask oh, you is website. Like, <laughs> two, oh right. Two things to, that I, I wanted to, to ask. Yeah. Name. Two things I want to ask. Is there any advice that you want to give our listeners on their pursuit for either getting into game development or getting into art? Uh, all right, so the only kind of way I've been able to deal with imposter syndrome myself is to divorce yourself from the need for it to be good. And that's hard to do when you're, when you're actually doing it for someone else. But, but I would say that the act of completing a project, even if by your own metrics it is bad, is much more important than starting 100. You will learn more in the act of finishing something than you will ever learn in the, in the arc of, Oh, this is exciting. Oh, this isn't as exciting. Oh, I hate this. I'm stopping. Oh, look at this new thing I made. <laughs> you know, like find something that you like just enough to see it through and see it through. And you that will be that will be one of the best learning experiences you can give yourself. Okay. And where can they go and learn more about you? Website, your Instagram, where can they go? I have a personal website at joelhires.com, J-O-E-L-H-E-I-R-E-S. Dot com, uh, and then I have an Instagram at Joel Hires, all one word, you know, uh, uh, lowercase, uh, which uh, you can, you know, feel free to check it out. Mm. Yeah, how many pieces of the Magi have you finished? Because they're they're on there. Yeah, yeah. the the first The first four uh, movements or pieces of the Magi are on the website. They're on the like if you if you just go to the website, they'll be there's like a scrawl of sort of like the top. 12 images on the website or whatever that uh, that are down there, and they'll, they'll be the first ones to pop up. And are you open for commissions? Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm not, I, I guess I don't advertise that too heavily, um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm available for work. Uh, you know, it's, uh, get in contact with me if you're interested, uh, and uh, we can we can figure something out. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to ask you that because you were like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> during yours. Uh, the senior joke is what killed us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seniors need love, too. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if you want to catch up with Daniels, it's um, Seniors Love, too. And we'll figure out. I forgot what we were going to name this podcast, but we'll figure out. It was uh, box, about leaving boxes. our boxes behind. <laughs> leaving <laughs> our boxes behind. Okay. That's a good metaphor for next. <laughs> so, but thank you guys so much. Go ahead and give your website. Oh, yes, please. Oh, if, if you guys like game music, uh, find me at Daniel Shea, that's D-A-N-I-E-L-S-H-A-E dot C-O. And if you want to read a blog, you can go to mydyslexicworld.com. Speaking of, I'm almost finished with your book, and it's... Oh, thank to, you. To you, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> thank awesome. you. Yeah, you're actually... that Joel's also working on my book cover, so thank you on that one as well. Yeah. It's looking gorgeous. Everybody I've shown it to have just been like, like instant jaw drop. I cannot explain like the the amount of just like fascination people have had with the the work that of yours that I've shown. Um, so thank you both so much for coming on today. Yeah, sure. uh, you saved me honest. from having to do this on my own. So thank you very much, Michael. We miss you. We miss you guys, <laughs> Eric, David, Michael. Why did you abandon me? Come back. Uh, so <laughs> thank you guys. Uh, if you yeah, if you want to join our conversation or if you guys want to get some advice, you can follow us on that. You can follow us. You can get on our Discord where we're constantly posting news, anything that's caught our interest, starting conversations about some of the logos we've been designing. Pictures of boxes. <laughs> Pictures of boxes. <laughs> Leave them behind. Or you can follow, check out our Facebook or join our Facebook group where you can also join in on some... Oh, I almost forgot. There was one last news. Too late already. <laughs> we've got You're on. You're never going to know. <laughs> I'll bring it out on the next one. It's because it wasn't in the Discord and I completely forgot about it. Um, so follow it. Join the Facebook. Join the Discord. And if you'd like to come out to one of our events, we have our once a once the last Tuesday of every month, we have a beer club, which is in the evening. It's a lot easier for some people to meet. That's at Brain Dead Brewing. 
or you can come out to our Thursday and Friday group. Again, those are at Whole Foods or Runner Roads in Plano at 8 a.m. And the other one is here at Nirvana. So I hope to see you there. Hope you guys have a great week, great weekend, and have a good morning. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.